because it would save her money if she didn't heat it. So she'd eat cold food. Her son uh, hurt his leg, and she spent so much time looking for a free clinic that eventually his leg had to be amputated. She died with $100 million and never enjoyed a penny. So focused was she on what she didn't have. So focused was she on on trying to gain more that she never appropriated the wealth that she had. She never used it. As we look at the scriptures, we're going to be seeing something that Paul wrote to us from prison. Paul's in prison. If there's any reason for Paul to be humdrum and and have his eyes focused on the fact that he's in chains, or have his eyes uh, and his life focused on that which he doesn't have, any freedom whatsoever, it would be while he's in prison. In fact, see, Paul, he, he was he was at a place, I had an opportunity to visit just a, a few weeks ago in Caesarea by the sea, and he was speaking to Herod Agrippa, and he was sharing with him the truth of the gospel. You'll remember when, we, when you read it in the book of Acts, it's that area where Agrippa says those terrifying words, you almost persuade me to become a Christian, Paul. It's in that place where Paul says, you know what, I appeal to Caesar, and to Caesar he will go. And while imprisoned in Rome, he writes this epistle to us. What is this epistle about? What we have. It's about what we have. It's about the the wealth that you and I enjoy. Now, you and I, we may not appropriate that wealth. So often in a life, in in, with Christians, we, we live our life focused on what we don't have and we forget the blessings and the wealth that we do have. And all that wealth and all those blessings are found in one place, in Christ Jesus. Paul uses that phrase in the book of Ephesians 27 times, in Christ Jesus. In all of Paul's writings, he uses it 169 times. How many times you got to say it before we begin to understand the importance of realizing everything we'll ever need, everything, every answer to the struggles in life that we face, to, that, that we want to put our hands on and, and understand all the things that we need to appropriate in our life to enjoy a victorious Christian walk are found in Christ Jesus. But we got to lift our eyes up off the ground and put our eyes up on him. I mean, we all remember what happened to Peter, right? It's such a great example in our life, isn't it? Oftentimes people look at Peter and they, and they want to say, Peter, well, at least he was willing to get out of the boat. Who did God call out of the boat? Did he call James or Jude or John? Who did God call? Peter. Peter. You come walk on the water. Peter leapt out of that boat, and as long as he had his eyes focused on Jesus, he walked on the water. What was that like? But as soon as his eyes fell down, and he started to look, oh, these waves are scary. Or, what's under the water? There's something under there that could eat me. Maybe he heard, da-dum. The devil back there with his his tune, you know. Peter looks down, sinks in the water. He's not appropriating what Christ told him he could do. What did Jesus tell him to do? Did he say, Peter, come out and drown in water? What did he say? Come out and walk. But we have to appropriate what Christ gives us. We have to appropriate The wealth that we have in Him. And that's what Paul wants us to grasp. It's what he wants us to understand as we take a look at the Scripture. He's going to tell us what it means to be in Christ and and what does Christ want of me. If that's all true, then what? This is when I had to put on my glasses. 
because another year has gone by and it's getting worse. The good news is I can't see my body falling apart, so that's nice. The book of Ephesians divides very neatly into two parts. Most of Paul's books do. Doctrine and duty. Doctrine and duty. When we take a look at this, as we divide the book up, here's what we want to look. Chapters 1 through 3 are going to deal with our wealth. That's what we have. Chapters 4 and 5 are going to deal with our walk. That's what we do now. And then chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, is going to deal with our warfare. Real easy. Wealth, walk, warfare. The book of Ephesians breaks out for us. If we're going to appropriate what God has, we have to know what God has for us. We have to understand the wealth that we possess. We have to understand that being in Christ, guys, being in Christ indicates a life of transformation. I'm no longer who I was. I am who I am in Christ Jesus. A new creation created by, by Him. I'm born again, born anew. It indicates for us a unity with God. Because we all can be unified. We come from different places. Folks, we even like different football teams. But we have unity in Christ Jesus. Because He's the main thing. Not who or did or did not make the playoffs. It doesn't matter. But what we have in Christ Jesus, it unifies us, it brings us together. And it indicates a deep satisfaction, Jesus' own words. If you truly want to be satisfied in life, eat of me. Eat of me, the, his body, the bread, his blood, the wine. Appropriate Christ in your life to find deep satisfaction don't focus on what you don't have focus on what you do so paul begins this letter paul as paul begins this letter guys here's what he's going to do first he's going to celebrate self well not self like who i am selfishly he's going to celebrate who he is in christ now look he begins paul an apostle of jesus christ by the will of god At one time, it could have been, hey, I'm Saul. My name means exalted one. I'm a pretty important guy in in Jewry. You know, I, I, I run the Pharisees. They don't do nothing unless I tell them. In fact, I'm destroying the church of Christ all by myself. I'm going to wipe it out because that's just a sect that needs to be squashed. Is that who he says he is now? He changed his name from Saul, exalted one, to Paul. Small one. Yeah, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle of Christ. Apostolos in the Greek means I'm sent out. Christ came to Paul, saved Paul, called Paul, and gave him a responsibility. He said, I'm sent out by Jesus Christ, by the will of God. God changed me from what I was to what I am. That's what he's saying. For how many of us can we say the same thing? God changed me from what I was to what I am. He brought me out of this or that or the other. I'm a new creation. And so he says we need to celebrate that work. Celebrate what God's done because this whole first three chapters has this celebratory theme. In fact, we're going to see him in a moment break into song. He's, he's so excited and celebrated. You ever been, you ever had a song just pop into your mind? How many times have I said celebrate? How many of you have thought about it? Celebrate. Well, there's one. Listen, a song begins to pop into our hearts when we desire to celebrate. He says, I want to celebrate what God has done in my life. And then he wants to celebrate the saints. Look, the next part of verse 1. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. To the saints. What's a saint? Is a saint a dead guy? A saint is an extra holy person? What's a saint? If you look it up in the dictionary, it'll say a person whose life has been marked with extreme holiness. In the Old Testament, saints were the nation of Israel or angels. 
But in the New Testament, a saint is anybody who is faithful in Christ Jesus. Anybody who's saved. Paul says, celebrate the fact that God considers you to be a saint. Once you were an ain't, there's only two groups, right? Saints and ain'ts. If you're an ain't, you're not a saint. If you're a saint, you're not an ain't. Saints, those faithful in Christ Jesus, we want to celebrate this term that was at one time only reserved for Israel or only reserved for angels, now speaks of those who are in the body of Christ. That at one time we were lost, but now we're found. And we can celebrate the miracle of God's grace that makes it all happen. The miracle of God's grace. Because in verse 2 he says, what? Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. The whole world's looking for, for peace. The whole world needs to understand grace. Because in order to, to, to experience peace, you have to understand grace. Unmerited, unearned, unasked for favor given to you by God Almighty to make you right with him. That's grace. When I realize it's not about me and it's all about him, it's not about my performance, but about his performance on the cross, what Jesus Christ did for me, guess what I have? Peace. Where does it all come from? What's the verse say? Where does all that come from? Grace and peace, where? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have grace and peace in my life. Well, if you are a saint, if you've given, surrendered your will to His will, you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you have grace and peace. But Jackie, I don't have grace and peace. You're not appropriating grace and peace. You're focusing on something otherly entirely. You're focusing on that which is robbing you of your joy, robbing you of that grace, robbing you of peace. But if we celebrate who God has made me by grace, I am saved. Through faith, it's a gift of God. Not works, lest any man should boast. We're going to get to that in Ephesians, right? In about a year. Hopefully not that long. We're going to get there. That's chapter 2. I'm actually hoping to get through four four verses today. (laughs) You think I'm kidding, huh? But anyway, as we continue to take a look, listen. Grace to you and peace. I want to appropriate. I want to celebrate Who I, not who I was, but who I am now. And I want to celebrate that I am part of God's family. He calls me a saint. He doesn't see my failures. He sees the fact that I am made what I am. Not what, not what I, what I'd like to be or he sees what his son has made me. For he who knew no sin became sin for me to make me righteous before God. And he calls me a saint. You ask Kathy if it's true. Kathy say, I'm not sure God knows what he's talking about. I don't think Jackie's a saint. What are you focused on? Are you focused on the truth of God's word? Do you look at God's word and say, you know, God's word says we're saints. Or do you focus on what's wrong? The Bible says to meditate on the pure and the lovely, the things that are of good reproach. Isn't that what it tells us? It wants us to stay focused on that. Thanks, Noe. It wants us to stay focused on that. So as we stay focused on that, as we understand those things, as we, as we appropriate that, we're going to discover grace and peace What is it that we just studied in Galatians chapter 5? Love, gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control, fruits of the Spirit, right? Yeah. Long-suffering. 
the things that God's word lays out for us that we're experiencing in our life because we're appropriating what it was that Jesus Christ said is in our life, right? Is that what we're doing? Or do we look at our brother or we look at our sister and we see what's wrong with them? Paul said to the saints, saints ain't perfect. They're made saints by love of a God who bore flesh upon his body, who gave his back to be beaten and stripped of the skin and muscle that held him all together to do that simply so that God would be able to look at you and I and say, now, if you'll appropriate what I've done for you, you're a saint. You're a saint. You are made righteous before God. Celebrate that. Then he says, listen, celebrate God. He's the one who did it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be him. Oh, praise God for what God has done in my life. Man, I wish I, wish I would begin more of my days that way. Instead of... Well, following the example of another character in the Bible whose first words were, Why, Jesus? Why, God, has this happened to me? Why, God, am I experiencing this? God, why does it have to be like this? God, can't I just catch a break? I start my day that way sometimes. But if I start my day that way, I'm not appropriating what God has for me. I should start my day, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that this present suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us when I see you, Jesus, face to face. Thank you, Lord. My day be different if I have an attitude like that? Will my day be different if, if I have my eyes focused on the Lord in that way? If I'm celebrating what God has done for me instead of having my eyes focused on the fact that I'm late for work? Or that that police officer pulled me over because I was in a hurry? Or that I was coming back from pole line and as I'm coming back from pole line I missed that little bitty sign that says pole line? If you're not careful, the next thing you know, you're being jackpot. (laughs) Man, I, I want to focus my eyes on celebrating what God has given me. I don't want to be that spoiled child on Christmas who says, this isn't what I wanted. What do we want to do with that spoiled child? I'm going to beat you to death with it then. No, I want to celebrate what God has done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then what else? Celebrate the blessing. What is that song that we used to sing in church as we were growing up? Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings for what? See what God has done. Folks, if we don't count our blessings, what are we focused on? Oh, what I don't have. What I don't have. I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on what I do have. And we want to be a people that appropriate what God has given us rather than walking through life in drudgery. Oh, life's so hard. Things are so... Hey, I'm not saying life's easy. I'm saying if we feel that way, we're not appropriating what God has given us. The gifts that he has laid at our table. We are like that woman who spent her whole life trying to amass a fortune and allowed her son's leg to be amputated with a hundred million dollars in the bank because of the cost. We go through life like a miser, not realizing the riches that we possess. I want to see what I do have. I want to have eyes to see what I have, what God has done, what God has gifted, what God has for each and every one of us. Blessed, 
be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Did you hear that? He doesn't say, well, you got a few things, you got a little thing, you got some things. What did he just say? Who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. How many is that? All of them. It's everyone. Every spiritual blessing. And you know what else happens? This is what Paul likes to do. Guys, Paul is that kind Paul is a preacher that when he gets going, he does not know how to stop. You know anybody like that? Amen. Yeah. Say amen now. We'll see if you're still saying amen at eleven forty five. He does, he gets going and he can't stop. He starts a thought in verse 3 and he does one sentence in the Greek until verse 14. I mean, he's just rolling. In fact, it is called the bracha. It's a, it's a Hebrew word for the blessing, a praise. It's like he erupts into a song. He erupts into a song. Listen, I just want, I'm going to read the whole song to you and we're going to back up and take a look at it. But listen, he said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. In him, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Paul says this. This is what we have. This is what we have in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We move We move, we're born again. Our spirit is born, fresh, new. And we become the body of Christ. And where is the body of Christ today? The Bible says, having finished his work, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So, physically, we are here. Spiritually, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies with Christ. It's already ours. It's not, it's going to be yours. What's the, what, how does he use it? Who has blessed us? It's already given. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been given every spiritual blessing. We just have to appropriate it. That means we have to start living like God has given us everything we need instead of having our eyes focused on what we don't have. I don't have a Harley. I used to. Unfortunately, I parked it under a three-quarter ton van. It doesn't work very good when you do that. I can focus on what I don't have or I can focus on what I do. 
all the things God has given us. Every spiritual blessing. Man, I want to have eyes to see every spiritual blessing. And then he begins as he, as he starts to focus on a few doctrines here in these first 14 verses. He's going to focus on the doctrine of election. He's going to focus on the doctrine of redemption. He's going to focus on the doctrine of salvation. They have big fancy words for that in school. We're not going to use any of those today. But we want to understand what it is he's talking about. So we're going to tear apart this song. We're going to take this song apart so that we'll have eyes to see what does this mean? What does this mean that he's laying out for us? Verse 4, he begins... The doctrine of election, just as he chose us. What did it say? Just as he chose us. No, 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 I, I chose him. No, it's not what the Bible teaches anywhere. The Bible says he chose you. Not only did he choose you, it says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's a long time ago. Before you were born. He chose you. What does that mean? That means the choice had nothing to do with what you have done or had not done. Had everything to do with God. The doctrine of election. Now, if you run away with the doctrine of election, it will fry your noodle. What do we need to do when we read Scripture? We need to read what the Scripture says. Do we need to start putting in our own ideas about what that means? No, let's just talk about what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Our choosing was before time. Therefore, it's free and unearned. That's what the Bible calls grace. We want to understand that a little better? Let's turn to the book of Romans. Let's look at Romans chapter 9. Why don't you take a little journey with me? Romans is left. Take a left turn. Keep flipping them pages till you get to Romans chapter 9. And let's see what it is that the Lord lays out for us. Romans chapter 9. Beginning at verse 11. Beginning in verse 11, he says, For the children, not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, but that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Well, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but for God who shows mercy. The election. He points in Romans, in this doctrine of election, to the understanding of Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau, when they were both in the womb, the scripture lays out for us, the two nations were at war within her womb. And God said harsh words. He said, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. That's not very nice. What if you're Esau? Man, that's not good. What does this mean? You know, whenever we study the scriptures, we want to have eyes to see what it is God is saying, how God is directing, what God's word really teaches. Listen, the concept in Romans 9, 11 through 13 is dealing with a Hebrew idiom. That Hebrew idiom is for the concept of being Chosen or not chosen. Otherwise described to us in the Bible as we read it. Jacob I have loved. Chosen. Esau I have hated. Not chosen. 
It's a Hebrew idiom for being chosen. We look at it and we think God hates Esau. No, it's not, it's not hatred like we see it. It's not hatred like we understand it. It's hatred in the sense that Esau wasn't chosen. Why wasn't Esau chosen? Because God knew the heart of Esau. Esau despised everything spiritual. That's what we discover when we read about Esau, isn't it? Esau despised the priesthood, despised the service of God. He didn't care about any of those things. He was wholly and totally focused on what he could get for himself right now. Jacob, he cared about spiritual things. Was Jacob good and Esau bad? No, they're both bad. Jacob, I have chosen. If love and hatred in the scripture is a Hebrew idiom for being chosen or not being chosen, then I want you to tell me what it means when we read John 3, 16. For God, what? So loved who? The world. Say that again. For God so loved who? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Is that what the Bible teaches? That's what the Bible teaches. I can take off and run with election and make election say all kind of things and say, therefore, then, if God has elect some to salvation, he has chosen some, then he has elected others to the, to the depths of hell, and there's nothing they can do to be saved, and there's nothing you can do to be lost. Um, I just ran down a rabbit trail, didn't I? What's the Bible say? For God so... Loved who? The world. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes shall have everlasting life. That's what the Bible teaches. Are we supposed to lean into our own understanding? No, we're supposed to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Lean not into our own understanding. In all our ways acknowledge and he will direct our path. He'll make our path straight. He'll show us the way. The doctrine of election, what we want to focus on is what the word says. What does God's word tell us? It tells us that we were chosen. Those two babies, had they done anything yet? So they're chosen before they were born. God had a plan for Jacob's life. God had a plan. He was chosen. Through Jacob would come who? The Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's going to be born through Jacob. Jacob was chosen because he was good, because he was holy, because he was righteous. No, the choice is whose? God's. And it is in God that the choice is made, not in me. God makes this choice. God gives us this choice. The reason for God's choosing are in himself. But God's choice is not random, nor arbitrary it is guided by love for god so loved listen love guides god's choice over and over again here in ephesians chapter one we're going to read for his good pleasure that's for the goodness in god what's the goodness in god for god is love Those who know God also will be marked by that same kind of love. Love. For God so loved the world that while we were yet sinners, didn't care about God, weren't asking for help, He sent His Son who died for me before I was born, before I did anything worthy of such a gift. He gave. Now, It's left to me to do what? It's left to me to receive that which he has given. Appropriate the gift. Walk. Put my weight into or 
as John 3.16 says, believe. Believe. By the way, Romans goes on to tell us, for whosoever, in verse 10, calls on the name of the Lord, he will be saved. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. I don't get to decide that I'm going to run down a rabbit trail and say, if this is true, then that must be true. I need to say, what's the word say? The word says that we're chosen and the word says that we have to receive. That we are a part, that there is human responsibility in the midst of God's sovereignty. And you know what else it does? It doesn't explain to us how that works. He just says, this is how it is. I chose you. So I can focus on what I don't have. I don't really understand how that works. Or I can focus on what I do have. God chose me. He picked me. He could have picked anybody else, but but he picked me. He knows who I am, what I'm like. He knows the dirty underbelly. He knows all the thoughts I've ever had, all the things I ever thought about doing but not doing. He knows it all, and he chose me. That's what Scripture says. God picked me. Do you know, listen, do you know Paul never got over that? Think, put yourself in Paul's shoes for a minute. Paul, what did he spend his life doing? In the beginning of his life, wiping out every Christian he could. When Stephen was martyred, Paul was there. Listen, Paul was a member of the Pharisees, working his way up to be a ruling part of the Sanhedrin. When Jesus was placed on trial... They called only those Sanhedrin that they could control their votes. They did the vote at night so they wouldn't have everybody there. They just had a a small quorum of the Sanhedrin and they cast their vote against Jesus. Do you really think Paul wasn't around? Do you really think that he just appeared after Jesus was taken to heaven? Paul goes around wiping out the church and one day on his way to destroy believers... God said to to Paul, Hey, brother, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden, a man who thought he had dedicated his whole life to obeying God, all of a sudden he realized everything I've been doing is against him. And now I'm standing before the holiest creation, the holiest one in all of creation, the uncreated one, Almighty God, and he wants to know why I've been persecuting him. What kind of panic do you feel in that position? I'm standing before Almighty God, and he is irritated with me. Man, that's scary. God says, Paul, I chose you. I'm picking you, Paul. You, you've been you've been kind of running off in left field, but listen, you're going to put your faith and trust in me, and I'm going to show you all the things you're going to suffer for me, all the things you're going to do. And Paul said, "Man, when I was a sinner, when I before I wasn't doing anything for God, I was doing everything for myself and raised myself up on that political ladder. And while I was doing all that, God came out of the universe and He stopped me. And He said, "What are you doing?" And He put me on the right road. I didn't deserve any of that, but that's what God does when He chooses you." God chose him. God working in Paul's life. Man, Paul never got over this concept. Never did. But look what the scripture says. It says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world for a purpose. What are the purposes of election? Here they go. That we should be holy and without blame. 
So the first purpose that we see in the understanding of election is sanctification. That's what it means to be made holy and without blame. The work of sanctification in our life. It's not an excuse that says, well, now that God has chose me, I, I don't have to do anything. It's one that says, wow, now that God has chose me, I want to look like my dad. I want, I want to look like him. I want to act like him. I want to be like him. I want to do the things that he wants me to do. And the scripture says he wants me to be holy. What does holy mean? That you walk around with a glowing halo everywhere you go? That you only wear certain clothes? What is holiness? Don't think about it in, in your religious bias, you know, the, the things that we care. What is holiness? Holiness simply means I'm set apart for him. I'm no longer set apart for me. I'm set apart for him. It's about him. I'm set apart to God. I want to walk like God calls me to. I want to, I want to talk like God wants me to. I want to experience all of those things, holy and without blame. For he who became sin set us apart. Set us apart unto himself. So therefore, we who have died to sin, we can't live in it anymore. If I'm being made holy by election, I've been chosen, I'm being made holy and without blame, I cannot be satisfied in sin. I can't. I don't feel right. I feel like I shouldn't be doing this. We all experience that. I shouldn't be in this place. If I can sin and not feel like what I'm doing is wrong, then I have to ask myself, have I appropriated what Christ has given for me? Have I received what he has done? Have I appropriated it? Am I saved? Because if I'm saved, I'm chosen. And if I'm chosen, it's for a purpose, to sanctify, to make me holy and without blame. John would say it like this. The one who loves God cannot sin. The phrase cannot sin doesn't mean he doesn't sin. Listen, none of us reach sinless perfection. It means that I can't live in it. I can't just keep doing it. It bothers me. What do we know about Lot? Does everybody think about Lot as a righteous man? You guys remember Lot, right? Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah, raised his family there, lost his family there. His wife was turned into a pillar of salt. Everybody with me? Do you think a lot is righteous? The Bible does. The Bible calls Lot a righteous man while he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Not perfect. Righteous. Why is he righteous? Because all that stuff vexed him, the Bible says. He couldn't find peace and all the things that were going on around him. was like, oh, I'm, in, I'm living in filth. And God says he's righteous. He's not perfect. He's righteous. Because he knows that's not his home. If I'm walking in sin and I think it's okay, if I think that's my home, I'm deceiving myself. The Bible is full of sections of Scripture that say that fornicators, adulterers, sexually immoral people, liars, murderers, and the like shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been sanctified by the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what you were. It's not what you are. And so you who have died to sin can't live there anymore. It's just not home. It's just not home. So those who have been chosen, they can't stay in that place, man. They can't, they can't stay there. They'll be found without blame. Without blame. Romans 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies, how? 
A living sacrifice. What was important about a sacrifice? It had to be holy and without blemish. What does blame mean? Blemish. He's saying, present yourself a, a living sacrifice unto God. Made holy and without blame by the power of Him working in you. Thank God, I am what I am, but I'm not what I was. And I never will be. The next purpose of election, guys, the next purpose is the adoption. Look what the scripture lays out for us. Having predestined us to adoption as sons. Folks get tripped up over that phrase, predestined, all the time. Let me tell you what predestined does say in the Bible. Predestination, everywhere it's used in the scripture, is only used of the believer. You get me? Predestination, that's that God keeps us and guides us and holds us and gets us to the finish line, is only used of the believer. Nowhere in Scripture does it say anyone is predestined to hell. It only says we are predestined to adoption. It only says... That we are predestined to an inheritance. It's only spoken of for the believer. The believer is predestined to adoption. We're going to experience adoption. The adoption that we find in Christ Jesus. Man, this is mind-blowing, folks. Because when you study the Old Testament, you know how many times God is referred to as Father in the Old Testament? 14. By the way, it's not very many. There's a lot of books in the Old Testament. 14 times. You know how many times he's referred to as Father in the Gospel? 60. Something's different in the New Covenant, isn't it? When the disciples said to Jesus, Teach us to pray, what did he begin with? Our Father. Man, that is, that is mind-blowing. It's totally different. That God is your Father. He's not this untouchable, unknowable being out in space somewhere that's orchestrating and pulling the strings of our life. But He's Dad. That's, that's our Father. He's saying, listen, we're predestined to adoption. Adoption under Roman law was when a father would say to his sons who were born into the family, we're born into the family, we're not brought into the family through adoption, we're born again, right? Jesus said in John chapter 3, unless you are born again, you will not be part of the kingdom. You must be born again, period. Born anew. I'm born into the family of God, but then he adopts me and makes me an adult son. This is why that's important, because an adult son has every right to the blessings of the father. Well, think about it. My infant, he can't take my credit card, but my 18-year-old can. God's got a big credit card. Them babies, they don't take them. They, we can't appropriate all that we have to give them when they're an infant. But when they're an adult, they can experience it all. So God says, listen, you are predestined. That means I'm going to make sure that you arrive in the adoption as my adult son with every right and privilege of being a son of God. Little s. Big difference between the big s. Son of God. Children of God. Are we appropriating what God gives us in this adoption? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies is already ours by adoption. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. We are the children of God. Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. 
Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Man, election means we are election for the purpose of being adopted, chosen to be adopted by God as one of His children. And not only being chosen as one of His children, but then receiving the inheritance of everything that God has. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff, man. We, that's, that's an amazing thing. So is God your Father? Do you understand that He is your Father? Do you think of Him and address Him as your Father? Because the fear of God is that attitude that says, I'm living my life so that I won't disappoint my Father by what I do. Have we allowed Him to be that Father in our life? Listen, if we haven't, hear what John chapter 1, verse 12 says. John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe on His name, who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To as many as received Him, to them... He gave the power to become children of God. Election brings us that adoption. That adoption that we experience in our life. Being predestined. He predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to His good pleasure. Because He loves you. That's what He's saying. Because He loves you. This is what He's done. The final purpose of election, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Literally, what he's saying is, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has begraced us with in the one whom He loves. He's saying the result of election is praise. Thank you, Jesus, for what I have. You chose me. You adopted me. You made me holy and righteous, not by what I did, but just because I received you unto myself. I appropriated what you've done. I accepted. And the result is praise. Praise. Why do we worship? Why do we praise? Listen, it is not about worship, praise. When we sing songs up here, whether it's loud or quiet, whether it's good or really bad, worship and praise is our gift to Him. It's what I give to Him. When I am in the congregation in worship, I am offering to Him my praise as a gift for what he has done for me it's not about me it's not about the band it's not about them nothing it's about him focus is on him he is everything he says when we understand what we have in election which by the way is the first chorus of several choruses in one song of 14 verses long he says if we Understand the course of election. We will erupt in praise for what God has given me that I didn't deserve. For the grace by which He has made me accepted. Anybody ever felt like you weren't accepted in a group before? Have you ever felt like you didn't quite fit in? You remember that feeling when you don't quite fit in and and, and, and you, you... You just feel like, I don't want to be here. I want to go be somewhere where I feel like I fit. Don't you hear what God's saying in that verse, verse 6? You're accepted by God. How you are. Where you are today. You're accepted. God doesn't say, I'll accept you if... 
I'll accept you when? It says you're accepted in the beloved. It's the moment you see that we have received what Jesus Christ has done. We appropriate what's already been given. We put our faith and trust in Him. And we can praise God. I can praise God that I'm not who I was. But I am who I am in Christ Jesus. I praise God I'm a saint. Go figure. I'm a saint. And it doesn't have anything to do with what I do. It has everything to do with who I know. I trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That makes me a saint. And I bless God for what He's done in me and in you. And I want to count my blessings. And of those blessings that I want to count, one of them is the blessing of the doctrine of election. God picked me. He chose me. The choice was before I did anything, good or bad, but He picked me. And the choice is in Him, not in me. That means it doesn't depend on me. It depends on Him. Who's more faithful, me or God? That's good news, right? Hey, the choice is in Him. He's more faithful. And then I'm adopted. That's my dad. God Almighty says, I am your Father. He says, I'm not ashamed to be called by your name. The God of Jackie. So I want to live my life so I don't bring shame on his name. That's the fear of God. The doctrine of election adopted as sons. Man, what a... What an incredible thing. I want to appropriate. I want to have all those things that God is doing in my life because He has accepted me into His family. So tomorrow morning, when life comes at you full throttle, some of you it'll get before you get to the parking lot. And all the junk of life happens. Remember what the Bible does teach. These present Sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in you. There's good days coming. Remember that you aren't who you were, but you are who you are in Christ Jesus, that everything you need is in Him. So when I feel weak, He is strong. When I'm sick, He's my healer. When I'm poor, my riches are in Him. And I am not going to live my life with all of those riches, as though God hasn't done anything for me. He's already given me everything I need. And congratulations, we made it to verse 6. That's too past where I thought we were going to go. Why don't you stand up with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just thank you for this opportunity. We can come before you and we can understand, even as we see this song that Paul sings in Ephesians 1, so important that we grasp the idea. Because if we don't understand that, God, you chose us, if we don't understand, God, that you're our Father, man, it it changes everything I read in Scripture. It changes that because, because now my relationship with you is totally different. You're not the unknowable, untouchable God. You're the God who I can know in Christ Jesus. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to experience everything that you have for me. And above all, I like Paul. I want to praise you from prison. I want to praise you in poverty. I want to praise you in sickness. I want to praise you when I'm healthy. I want to praise you when I'm rich. I want to praise you because my praise doesn't depend on what I have materially. It depends on what you have already done. And it's already mine. I thank you, Lord. For who you are and for what you've done for me. Give me 
my father's eyes so I will see like you see. Give me my father's love so that I'll see my brother the way you see him. Give me my father's grace so that I will bestow the free gift you gave me on people who don't deserve it. Make me like you so that I will walk in the image of your son that I don't bring shame on the family name. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for making me a a place where I fit in just like I am. So Lord, I come to you No pleas, no complaints. I come to you with praise. Be glorified in me this day and always. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.